Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. In each episode, we'll have a frank discussion with industry experts to help brands and business leaders navigate the changing landscape of marketing and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School. Hi, I'm Amy Cashman, UKMD for Cantor TNS. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And finance client lead across Cantor. So our guest today is Dr. Felipe Tomas. Felipe is uh, a colleague and very good friend of mine, um, but his uh, official title is Associate Professor of Marketing at the Side Business School at the University of Oxford. Felipe is really an expert on a lot of things within uh, sort of data-driven approaches to understanding marketing strategy and the effectiveness of marketing, but also an interest that we're going to focus on today is uh, some work he's been doing around illegal markets and, and the dark web uh, and really the incorporation of social networks and network science into understanding how these markets work. So, so welcome, Felipe. Thanks for having me. So let, let's start this with a fundamental question, I suppose. What is the dark web? Right. Uh, well, I think we can start from the misnomer, right? So the dark web is actually not really very web-like. It's a set of like this disconnected websites. Uh, normally, we try to look at like what is the surface web, the stuff that we know day in day out are these indexed websites, things that we know like you can search, use a search engine, and you can find and go from website to website, follow links from one place to another. The dark web is just a collection of websites with information that are not directly indexed anywhere else. You have to kind of have specific knowledge of how to get there. Somebody has to give you that address. Uh, but also you have to use some uh, specialized software to get there. In that case here is uh, the Onion Router or Tor, which is a specific browser designed to get to those addresses. And I think it's fair to say it's not all sort of illegal activity going on in the dark web because that's often like what's sort of talked about. There's, there's a number of different things happening there, aren't there? Right, uh, and that's kind of like uh, the, the other crazy bit about that environment is that it's 
I guess the easiest one for media to pick up and grab and talk about and the, the sexy bit is just like, well, look at all the crime and, and uh, strange things and manifestos and crazy people that kind of exist in that environment. Careful uh, what you say. <laughs> and very reasonable human beings that exist there as well. But it's just a whole lot of uh, just anybody seeking privacy uses that technology because the, the dark web, this environment was actually generated, uh, was created by the Navy. Uh, so they, they're the ones that put this together to communicate safely. So a number of people and other companies have a, uh, adopted that environment for that purpose. And a number of existing companies and uh, media agencies, whistleblowing kind of devices exist in the dark web for people to operate. So like Facebook has a website on the dark web for a subset of its customers that don't want to be traced from website to website. So even if you're within the Facebook environment, they know everything about you, but they don't know which website you arrived from and where you're going once you leave their environment. And I believe certain news websites have yeah. the same for that contact with whistleblowers and that kind of anonymity of people approaching them openly Absolutely. with stories and things. Yeah, so ProPublica is a pretty uh, well-known, well-regarded journalism website, Pulitzer Prize winning. Uh, New York Times also has one there, and then you have like you just WikiLeaks. You know, I think is the most, uh, I don't know, well regarded, but definitely well known place for whistleblowing and discussion and so on. But then, like you said, like the activism is very strong. It's hard to say like percentages of how much of the dark web is crime versus activism versus so on. But it's that soup that mix in that environment that it does allow because of the privacy ability, it enables those people to interact and find their communities and have a voice even when they normally would not. So when we talk about like the Arab Spring and communications, when governments decide that communications should be shut down on the surface, well, because of VPNs and Tor and this set of te privacy technologies and redirection of traffic, you actually allow communication even if other people then don't allow that communication to take place. So again, yeah, so perfect place for activists to be safe, for whistleblowers to be safe, uh, secret sources to remain secret, and eventually, you know, what develops into black markets, consumers to be secret as well and private until they decide to disclose any information. And that's kind of that level of control allows all sorts of interesting just human interactions, not necessarily marketing and consumer interactions, just the ability for people to just be without being told what to do or without that sort of regulation on top of it. So where does marketing then come into this, to this world? Well, from my perspective, the beginning of looking at it from the, uh, the market structure perspective and trying to understand these consumers that exist on the dark web, uh, when they start looking at the acquisition of all sorts of illicit goods. Um, so it's using our understanding, our theoretical understanding of uh, consumer behavior, consumer decision-making, uh, marketing strategy, selling, buying, how we organize markets, how do we organize trust, how do we organize reviews of products, like every single thing that we know and understand in today's like everyday markets exist as well in the dark web, but usually around things that are uh, at least in these major black markets, things that are, have been deemed illegal by some institution, like government, just says, no, you can't buy a human being. Uh, but you still have groups of people that uh, reject the notion and then form markets to transact over that. Uh, those are the, the 
farther ones away, but very classic, like your old Silk Road, right? So like, I think it's the most famous one. It wasn't necessarily the first, but the most famous uh, closure. It was incredibly well publicized. In around 2013, that was the first crypto market that had the aggregated vendors from everywhere in an Amazon-like way to come in and sell in that one environment. And I think the, the perspective then and where the research starts coming in is marketing knows how to address consumer needs, uh, how to reduce transaction costs, how to make markets more efficient, how to win in the market. Uh, therefore, marketing also knows how to counteract those forces. If we know how something works, we can make it not work. So it's providing our knowledge into those agencies that are interested in disrupting black markets to tell them better ways of doing so that go beyond criminology and disrupting supply that they do really well right now. But it's other tools to attack the same problem. In terms of sort of the principles marketers can learn, then, are, there, are there specific things that have worked really well on the dark web that have then become part of the surface web? Or are there trends you're seeing now that you could see potentially, sorry, in the dark web seeing trends that could potentially then become more mainstream? Yeah, so there's, there's an interesting relationship between those two worlds in that it's almost like this upside down world where they have a lot of the same behaviors that we see on the surface, we see replicated over there, right? So they have, it might be surprising going into it to see they have, you know, five-star ratings for their products. They have forums for discussions and consumer, like communities around uh, cocaine. Like, so let's have a hundred pages to discuss this one specific type of cocaine, you know, like you don't, stuff I didn't even realize, like that's, there's varieties, right? And they're having this discussion on it. But then like the reliability of vendors, uh, there's PR work being done in the dark web. There's advertising, which we started talking about doing uh, specific research on the effectiveness of advertising the same way that we talk about on the surface that they do in the dark. They do seeding campaigns, right? So a new drug dealer comes in and says, like, I'm trying to build my reputation. They're giving out product and samples to get positive reviews to generate goodwill and business and so on. So like they replicate a lot of the same. But then you also see things that are very much specific to the environment that they operate in that doesn't necessarily have direct translations to how we do. Like so they rate each other on stealth, for example, which is like their ability to ship you something without being detected. Because uh, most of the stuff they especially low-end drug marketplaces, I'm not talking human trafficking, that's more complex in operation, but uh, if somebody's sending you something in the mail, it's actually going by your local national mail, it's not going through a special service. So they have their own kind of criteria and features that are very important for different marketplaces and different vendors. So they have different things that they pay attention to. And to meet some of those challenges, then they start deploying different, mostly technologies to address those needs. And on that end, they actually go much further than what we normally see in our world. Um, so their use of encryption, for example, uh, their ability to communicate end-to-end -end encrypted as a norm as opposed to the limited aspect that we communicate is vastly different. The way that uh, privacy is maintained at a community level is vastly different from how we experience it day-to-day -day as we interact with companies or even with each other. Uh, they have their entire like belief system, I guess you could even call it, is around this concept of OPSEC, 
uh, which is operational security. So they're entire, they have codes of behavior that you don't breach these aspects of how you talk to one another because if you were to breach it, you're actually providing information to law enforcement about your peers uh, and you don't want to do that. Uh, you don't want to incriminate yourself. You don't want to incriminate others. So they, there's that kind of a little bit like adversarial aspect in how they exist and behave because they're always expect to be watched. Uh, but that leads to that different set of behaviors and technologies being adopted. Uh, the other one that's major in that it enables their environment as well is in like cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin that have become obviously significantly more important in the real world as it were, but mostly as a speculative asset that people invest in, there is very much the, the main ways of transacting. It is the de facto currency, and it's been very interesting to watch uh, not just the rise of Bitcoin, but the rise of several other cryptocurrencies and the, the hunger for a better security measure on top of that currency. So if there's a, I think the Monero is another one that's come after that supposedly has better security and anonymity behind it, then that one's adopted by more marketplaces. Some of the really rough marketplaces actually develop their own currencies because now they control their own financial system as well as the marketplace. And that's kind of, I guess, interesting if you start saying, okay, like how do I take that and I bring it to the surface, right? You have, well, companies are interacting with these financial systems and financial world. At what point do you develop your own cryptocurrency? At what point does it make sense for you? Which is, uh, it sounds insane, right, when you put it in those terms, but the question is as simple as when do I deploy blockchain technology and tokenize my systems, right? So that's closer to what media, how to treat that topic, but what you're asking is when do I develop my own company-based currency? And then we can draw some learnings from the dark web and say, okay, here's, here's how much control that company in the dark web has gained from developing that technology and introducing it. Here's how much control they have lost by providing that chain to its customers. So there's a little bit of a give and take that we can grab from the dark web and apply it here, even though it sounds very esoteric in the surface, in the dark web has been ongoing since 2013. So what I'm hearing you're saying in some sense, like I'm, I'm thinking about what's going on in the dark web with these sort of retailers essentially in, in, in the dark web or markets and how we can sort of translate that into the more mainstream familiar um, environments that, that we think about as marketers. One thing that I thought was really interesting is this notion of trust. In some sense, it's like a hyper-focus on trust because really you, you, you need to build that trust, that credibility, that sort of reputation for being a trustworthy supplier of whatever it is that you're selling. So what are some of the things that, that you've seen in these markets that are, are related to that that, I th that that you think might apply more broadly in, in a mainstream marketing context, particularly given that we know that consumer trust in companies and institutions and, and so on is going down at the moment? Right. Um, that's actually like a, that's a fascinating question and connection between those two and I, I wish I had like tons to talk about in, in that aspect um, and I wish it was more solved in a way because that is kind of a constant source of discussion and concern even in those communities and say that you know trust and reputation and uh, the belief in one another is kind of crucial for even any sort of transaction to take place and managing those things and 
building and creating of new uh, trust mechanisms and trust systems in a trustless environment is kind of a continuous source of discussion in the dark web. Uh, like they have like these uh, sub-communities and forums where they just sit together and it's like, okay, how do we build a better system? So like pseudo think tanks, let's try to figure out how to solve this problem. How do we organize? How do we solve the trust issue? as it were, right? So uh, whether like a lot of it is like the deployment of escrows, the deployment of rating systems, trying to get a third party involved. Uh, but again, that's at times kind of absurd because it's like, oh, come on, trust me when I tell you that this other person is legitimate. Well, who are you and how do I know you're trustworthy? So you have like this recursive problem of like who is going to tell me who's trustworthy in this environment at all. But it's, uh, there's, a, there's a huge branding component here in building and creating and imbuing the trust inside of the brand. So you're probably not familiar with it, but uh, the best example that I have of how important brand is for even in the dark web, there was a gentleman that was arrested in California for attempting to trademark his drug dealer name. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From the dark web. All right, so he went into the office and tried to trademark Caliweed, I think it was. And they're like, what is that? He said it was a clothing company. Turned out that then they looked a little bit deeper into it and they looked through all his accounts and his usernames and pseudonyms and traced his computer and his entire history to you know millions of dollars, whatever, of uh, illicit you know, drug trade. So like that person was absolutely thoroughly worried that another individual would take their name and use it to conduct business in the dark web, eroding the trust and eroding the kind of the reputation and the, the, you know, the equity that he created behind his name. Can I ask in that, in that case, that instance, I mean, what redress would he have had if someone had done that, even if he had a patent on his name? I mean, I, I, I kind, of, kind of struggle with that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to go and get that enforced, is no, he? No, he cannot. So, so like, this is a 100% zero enforcement, high risk environment where that doesn't exist. But there is a, that belief is still strong. Like people maintain their dealer name from marketplace to marketplace. Like since 2013, we've had 171 separate giant marketplace, giant, but major marketplaces arise and fall 
and people attempt to transfer their brand name from one to the other to say, oh, I'm still so-and-so from that other marketplace, even if you have no proof of that fact <laughs> or recourse if something goes wrong, right? Like you have no enforcement. There's no major body saying, oh, you know, consumer protection in the dark web. It's just, again, that community knowledge and information transfer that happens outside of a formalized system. And it's just kind of a community. A lot of the same processes that we see, like social proof, carry on and exist in the dark web. Like, so the, the social proof being the, the long line in the restaurant, right? Like, so you, you assume that, that they have more information than you do, uh, or it's cheaper for you to access that information because you observe a lot of people making choices, so you end up there. Mm -hmm. So these markets get bigger because they have enough people. And then once they have more people, they keep getting bigger because you believe that if they have enough customers, then those people must know something and therefore they have information you don't and so on. So same processes that we know are helping black markets uh, to even manage the lack of trust in the same kind of process. Like, why do you trust the people in line? Like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I wouldn't necessarily once you probe me, but, you know, my, my human brain is actually just helping me along and just heuristics still come into play. Uh, it's a global marketplace with global exposure um, and all of the same classic examples and issues that we have, you know, global businesses and dealing with supply chains and uh, same of those, those concerns and uh, changing regulations from, place to the, to, from one place to another. And even the, the, I guess, one interesting part in that that ties back to an earlier question of like how does marketing fit into this and what is the dark web what is a black market even is because a market is only necessarily black and illegal when a government decides that it is i was just confronted with that question and that point in a, a talk i've given recently where i said like well the first example of e-commerce like do you know what the first online transaction was it was in 1972 Right? When MIT and Stanford first connected their computers and gave rise to the internet, they figure out how to transact and they're like, how do I sell weed to the other school? That's the first thing that's like in the records from like early ARPANET. So like, you know, we're in this age of eBay and Amazon and easy transactions, but the first transaction we've ever had over computer mediated environment was a drug trade. Um, it does. But then when I was giving that example, somebody said, that's funny because in both of those schools right now, the sale of that, or in those states, the sale of that marijuana now would be legal. Right? So like the definition of that being an illegal trade was very time and place specific. And that's very much true because a, a black markets exist throughout the world right now, and they have for like all of humanity, right? Like so. It's not like we're gonna end this anytime soon. That's not the fight here either. Like this is not gonna end, but the definition depends on somebody else telling you, you can or cannot have this. So like alcohol in the United States during prohibition was very much a black market. Today, that would be unlikely in a lot of places on the planet. Um, in the United States, like family planning and um, like even like for especially women making that decision was illegal. So in the 60s, 50s, 60s, like there was a black market for contraceptives in the United States, which to a lot of people now that would sound absolutely insane. Venezuela is not doing too hot right now and they have their, fun their functional part of their economy is essentially a black market. 
and then you have, well, like you can't find things, you can't find, you know, subsistence goods, like so rice, I can't buy rice. So rice is being sold on a black market. So it sounds like there's a lot going on in these uh, legal marketplaces. Like, I'm curious what, what marketers might learn by actually looking at what's going on or having someone in their organizations or their IT departments or whoever <laughs> safely look at um, what's going on. And perhaps, you know, I'm thinking as an example from a cybersecurity standpoint, I'm assuming that, you know, you can, you can buy customer records and passwords and all these sorts of things uh, on the dark web. So is that something that marketers should be thinking about? This is a place for surveillance for, for their own businesses? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the reason companies are getting targeted and their data stolen is because these markets exist, right? So very infrequently is going to be just, you know, cyber vandalism, somebody's just trying to break in and just have fun. The financial motivation is because they can and do sell all of this data at fairly decent prices in the dark web. Actually, very frequently, I know that a company has been breached before there's an announcement because I see it for sale on my data and they'll have and they sell it at scale, right? So when you see, uh, you can even see under um, announcements, like so the, once they might say, we've been breached, we've lost 10,000 records, and then, but I see there's a, a listing for, you know, 600,000 records, you know that they're off somewhere. Are there any sort of future trends you're seeing emerging, Felipe, that you think are things maybe marketers should be thinking about down the line? Yeah, and most of it relates to their ability to handle new technologies, right? So there, there's a weird component of, I guess, imagine a company that has no, I don't know, shareholders, really meaningful s stakeholders, or regulatory components on top of it, and you exist in a high risk, high volume, uh, high reward, right? So it's a very, a lot of money floating around. Uh, so hyper-competitive hyper component as well to it. You can imagine then the rate with which they try and inject new tech to win against competition, right? So you get, it's a very volatile, very fast, uh, I think it would be the poster boy for fail fast environment. It would be this group of people because anything that's new under the sun, they inject into their businesses. I have at least a, a belief that we have this current paradox with consumers, right? That there's the privacy paradox that's been described a few times that people say they want privacy when when given the chance to act in a private manner, they just give you their social security card number and telephone number and maiden name and credit card, right? So like they behave not in a way consistent with what their preference is. Um, but I think a lot of that is a lack of knowledge of how stuff works. Um, that's when you see people freaking out over Facebook knows my information when I log into Facebook. What do you mean people can read my Twitter feed? You know, like they, they don't necessarily understand the, the environment and what it means to be private. As they understand that, I think these technologies that we see in the dark web, understanding encryption and how you can function as a business while still being encrypted, um, and you still have access to information and data while still being encrypted, is very valuable. Imagine if consumers started treating companies as um, almost like enemies when it comes to data ownership. Marketing changes <laughs> from what it is today to a 
dataless, uh, air quotes around that, but uh, a, there's a dirge of information as opposed to having a deluge of information. If every person is a ghost, you don't know, you're back to mass market. Population generalities, not end of one targeting. You go into very unspecific, very uh, inefficient and ineffective kind of marketing spend. You've been listening to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School and Kantar. Find more episodes and related content at uk.cantar.com or at sbs.oxford.edu. Thank you.